That was the opening music from the 1930 Betty Boop cartoon, Minnie the Moocher, which was really cool because it started off with live action of Cab Calloway dancing, and then it transitions to the cartoon, and they were doing some pretty cool stuff with the animation because they they animated that, it was like a ghost to match the moves that Cab Calloway was doing, so I thought that was really cool. That's a really good one for an opening. And in the Blues Brothers movie, they played homage to Cab Calloway. He sang that song. Oh, he did? About two-thirds of the way into the movie, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie for so long. Now, is that was that movie in, out in the 70s, or was that in the 80s? I think it was 1980. It's right on the borderline of what we want to do. Man, that would be a good one to review. That would be fun. We'll have to check yeah, it <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he was in that, singing that same song. Should we introduce ourselves? You bet. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from Seattle. And I'm Bob Johnson, recording from Los Angeles, and we welcome you to our classic movie reviews, which this week is the beginning of August's Animation Month. And you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net, or in iTunes, just do a search for Classic Movie Reviews, and the same thing in Facebook. Just do a search, and you can find us on Facebook. I was thinking today, as I was looking at a lot of the material, this is not like any movie we reviewed over the past 50 episodes, because we're going to look at more than a half a dozen animation studios and a dozen animation cartoons, all in 30 minutes. I better talk quickly. It's going to be a whirlwind of talking about these cartoons. So uh, the first thing I should say is uh, you can find the list of these cartoons on a YouTube playlist that I've created, and I'll put that in the show notes. And it's in order of when the cartoon was released, starting in 1908 with Phantasmagory, the first cartoon ever, as far as we know. Uh, And that was pretty interesting because it was done on a chalkboard, and the style was kind of reminiscent of some animations I've seen on the web for, like, advertising insurance companies. It's just kind of an interesting, like, line-drawing style that I think has been used quite a bit over the years, but I've noticed it a lot on the web. It reminded me of the video game called Pong, where the little ball went back and forth. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Now, one of the things I definitely wanted to talk about this week was that uh, in the 20s, well, I guess even going back earlier than that, the teens, the 20s, up through the 50s, it was really common to have cartoons played before the main features. That's kind of died out now. It's not really done anymore. But when you were going to movies as a little boy, that was that was normal, right? Oh, yes. That was standard fare. This was just the way that it went when you went to the movies. You had shorts and you had serials and newsreels. And... It, it was. If it was during the week, there might be a double feature movie and maybe a newsreel and one cartoon. If it was on the weekend, like a Saturday matinee, there'd be uh, two or three cartoons, a serial, two movies, usually B-Westerns or mysteries, and previews. I mean, it was an all-afternoon affair. I did a little research uh, on why that may have changed beyond just the advent of television. Uh, In 1946, there was an enormous increase in the pay level for the animators, 
and that raised the cost of the uh, cartoons. And then in 1948, there was the Hollywood antitrust case, which ended the studio's ownership of movie theaters. And so the booking of cartoons was no longer guaranteed, so that made it more difficult. And so they kind of withered away in the movie theaters, but then they made a comeback on television in the uh, 50s and 60s with Hanna-Barbera and, and other, and other uh, companies. But in the movies, I don't, I, I don't recall seeing a cartoon in a movie since 1980, and there were a couple that I saw, and that was it. For a lot of Pixar movies, they'll do a little short animated feature, and, and sometimes before Disney movies, they'll have a little short, but that's the exception. I found it fascinating today. I was looking, at, I was looking again at the uh, 13 cartoons on the uh, YouTube uh, selection that you made, and then I was looking at a couple that weren't on there. One, one that seems like it might have been really fun from 1914, Gertie. The dinosaur. Oh, sure, absolutely. That, Remember that? We should stick that in the list. That's a good one. Then I did a little research. Since we didn't have a movie, I couldn't really look at box office and all of that. But here's how it shook out in the 1940s when it was really the golden age of cartoons. There obviously was Walt Disney. And then Paramount really took over control of Flash, Fleischer Studios, and that went through some name changes. Universal had Walter Lance which did Woody Woodpecker. Warner Brothers had Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, The Roadrunner, Yosemite Sam. 20th Century Fox had Terry Tunes with Heckle and Jekyll. MGM had Tom and Jerry. Columbia had United Productions of America with Mr. Magoo. Remember Mr. Magoo? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and then Hanna-Barbera was floating in and out. And there was a whole lot of moving back and forth uh, in terms of where some of these cartoon studios would end up in the big parent. They'd come in, they'd go out, they'd change their name. It was, it, I really am not up to date on all of it, but I, I did find a book today that I'm going to read called Drawing the Line, the Untold Story of the Animation Unions from Bosco to Bart Simpson. And it's a fascinating book I checked out of the Funds Library. So that shall give me a lot more background. This is a huge topic for 30 minutes. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to say is that some of those cartoons are really weird. The Mysterious Moses, the Betty Boop cartoon, and yes. the, uh, the Minnie the Moocher one is also kind of strange. The, I mean, Skeleton Dance was a little strange. Yeah, the F Four Hell's Bell Silly Symphony. So I, I think that what's interesting about these cartoons is it was a, a way for people to really be super creative and experiment with different things that just wouldn't be possible in uh, live action films and i was surprised by i was surprised by how strange some of them were they are they, well even walt disney did uh fantasia yeah of yes. course yep and that that's pretty uh out there as well for that time even when i watched it recently it was like this is really different a couple of the studios really specialized in those strange cartoons yeah, I think uh, Fantasia falls into a lot of people's top ten movie list because it's so well done and, and unique. And as well as Snow White, which is the movie that we're going to do next. The reading I was doing, it, it shows that the uh, this was the golden age of American animation from 1928 and the beginning of sound until the late 1960s. That was like, in, in many ways, kind of paralleled the golden age of radio. It went a little longer than the golden age of radio, but... Not by a lot. 
are there certain ones that you remember as being your favorite when you're going to the movies uh, in the 50s and the late 40s? Oh, that's a good question. I, I mean, certain, like, I, I know you, you like the Roadrunner, but that was a little bit later, I think. That was a little bit later, although the first one that I found was 1949, so I may have seen them, but I, I really enjoyed Tom and Jerry from the 1940s and 50s. And then there were the uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons, which I believe were done by Merry Melodies, which was a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, and uh, Heckle and Jekyll from Terry Toons, 20th Century Fox. And then one that I really laugh at, even today, Mr. Magoo, which Jim <laughs> Backus was the voice of. Jim Backus was later uh, on Gilligan's Island, that TV show on CBS. And he was in a mad, it's a mad, 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 mad world too he played the rich guy that was always drunk oh, yes that's he was the pilot that just <laughs> yeah. said anybody could do this that's right i forgot that yeah he was great as mr magoo in, in some ways um the cartoons have made a comeback though in the in the last decade or two i think there was a kind of a dry spell in the 70s and the 80s and now they're, they're on the rebound totally different in terms of style and and they're also more movie they're more movie length i think in the 70s there was there was kind of a mini resurgence in the in the 70s but they were they were also very strange like uh heavy metal was is really a great animated film but it's pretty bizarre and there's another one that we might want to do this month which is called fantastic planet which was a french animated film and science fiction great story great animation really unique there's always been sort of these animated films coming out but i think that just the the number of shorts in the 30s and 40s is kind of incredible and so many different characters like felix the cat and mickey the mouse you know mickey mouse and and those silly symphony shorts from disney and uh, popeye i i have a i really like popeye uh, I just remember watching a lot of Popeye growing up on TV. Going back and watching it now, though, man, it's really uh, <laughs> masochistic. <laughs> I was reading where uh, where the the uh, studio made a full length, feature length Popeye movie in 1936, which I think I've seen. Popeye the Sailor meets Sinbad the Sailor. Oh yeah, I have that on DVD actually. Oh, you do? Yeah, that's ah. a great that's a great uh, film. I like that one a lot. To take us in a little di- different direction, I was uh, struck by my reading that the uh, cartoon studios were were involved with the uh, McCarthy-era House on american Activities Committee, just like the movie studios. And uh, in uh, 1952, a gentleman named, I believe, John Hubley or Hurley, who was the uh, chief executive officer of UPA, UPA was fired because he was accused of being a communist so that's i i had never really thought about cartoons anti-communism mccarthy and the house on american activities committee in one in kind of in one thought but it was alive and well in this side of the businesses oh wow i didn't know that man what a terrible time no, no kidding. Just a little side story. I was uh, standing in line at the grocery store a couple of days ago, and these two young kids, I'd say they're like 19 or something, were going on and on about how their their cell phones were tapped, and they were, you know, the government was always listening to what you were saying, and nothing was private, and you know, they were just going on and on with all these, you know, conspiracy theories about how we were being watched all the time, and and then 
the kid says the that we're going to be having another age of McCarthyism coming up soon. And I was like, wow, this is pretty deep conversation for these 19 year olds at the grocery store. No kidding. Wow. Well, I hope not. I hope that's not a prediction that comes to thought to, to be true. I remember when I went to the movies in Lewistown, cause I went every Saturday to matinees. I mean, I, I bet I didn't miss three Saturdays a year. It wouldn't be uncommon because we had two theaters, two movie theaters, wouldn't be uncommon to see three or four cartoons, not all from the same studio. So I might see uh, Woody Woodpecker, and then I might see Heckle and Jekyll, and uh, maybe Bugs Bunny in the same matinee, and they're from three different studios. And so it wasn't until we really started to think about doing this August animation series that I realized these were very competitive businesses against each other, with Walt Disney being the leader and then Flesher, which later became other names uh, in Paramount, were really competitive with each other, just like the movie studios, the films. I never thought of that. I just went and had a good time and never gave it another thought. Would, this, would the films that would be played, were they from the same studio, or could they be from different studios as well, like the, the main features? Well, because there were just the two outlets, and it was the antitrust case had been settled, usually the matinees would have been from the same studio. And they would have usually been Columbia, RKO, or Republic. But then during the week and on Sundays, you might get a double feature that could be from any one of the major studios. Yeah. I think one of the theaters predominantly showed 20th Century Fox and Paramount, and the other one, Warner Brothers, MGM. But they, I think they kind of went back and forth because it was based on the bidding price and what 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 the asking price was for it. If it had been earlier in the uh, 1930s or 40s, each theater probably would have had just one or two studios since it's such a small town. Yeah. But even in, even in Billings, which is like maybe 200,000 people, there was a theater dedicated just to Fox movies. Seattle had Paramount Theater. They probably only showed Paramount products. That changed totally in 1948. <laughs> it's a little bit like cable television where it feels like everything's owned by one company. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> or maybe maybe five gigantic ones of, yeah. of some kind. I, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about uh, some of the characters in these cartoons. Um, okay, like like what the heck is up with Betty Boop? She's so weird looking, and that voice that she has is so uh, uh, unique. Um, and she was hugely popular. She was, I think, she was patterned after some of the uh, flapper girls of the 1920s that would do ragtime and that kind of thing. Uh, and I read that that first appearance that she makes in Dizzy Dishes, she was actually uh, uh, supposed to be like patterned off after like a, a dog. Like all the characters in that cartoon are, are these different animals. And, and uh, she was, she has these really long, like kind of droopy ears and, and then I, I, I think they evolved. And that was the other thing that was interesting. As you watch the, the shorts over time, th these characters kind of evolve and they become more recognizable to what we know them as today. But if you go back to when they're making their first appearances, some of them are really uh, different looking. They really are. I, I noticed that when we were, when we were watching these uh, YouTube selections. Mickey Mouse was quite different. Tom and Jerry was quite different. Betty Boop was a favorite of my mother-in-law's. She has Betty Boop dolls and Betty Boop figurines and all kinds of things. 
she would have been going to the movies as a young girl in the 1930s, and Betty Boop was her favorite huh, growing up in cool. Chicago. Also, uh, the beginning of talkies. Uh, I, I, I can't say enough about how unusual her singing style is. Oh, yeah, totally. Very unique. Something that you mentioned that I did a little bit of research on is that the Roadrunner cartoons, you had said something like you remembered the backgrounds being different. And apparently there were there were like four or five different styles that they had used over the years. Some of them being oh, more, okay. more realistic, like the one that we had watched. Uh, and then some of them being very sort of uh, surreal. And I watched one that the backgrounds were just, just really weird and different and i mean i like that i think again there's so much experimentation happening and so much creativity in these in these shorts it's really fun to watch them and see that i didn't realize there were that many backgrounds but i remember when i was in undergraduate school at the university of colorado during finals week uh in the student union the uh there was a theater and they would run cartoons all day long you could just walk in there and watch cartoons. So this would have been 1959 through 1963. And I remember Roadrunners being hugely popular back then. And they so they had to be around in the 50s. I just don't remember seeing them in Lewistown in the 50s. So maybe they didn't make it to that circuit. Who do you identify more with, the, the, the Roadrunner or the, the Coyote? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wiley Coyote. Because I feel like he's never going to succeed, and he always thinks he is. He never. <laughs> he's wants. very persistent. He never ever actually gets the roadrunner. You think about it; it's a little bit sadistic. He's falling <laughs> into the Grand Canyon. He's blowing himself up. thinking you're were, you were mentioning how <clears throat> the characters changed one of those on youtube was the mickey mouse cartoon his first appearance in 1928 looked nothing at all like the mickey mouse of today oh it's funny like one of the comments on the youtube video for that was like mickey mouse is kind of a jerk <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. 
I mean, he, he's not like the Mickey Mouse that we think of as this fun, you know, character that you can see at Disneyland or Disney World. You know, it's it's totally not that. Not at all. And the same thing, Bugs Bunny. He started out looking quite different, and he kind of turned into a jerk. So the, yeah, he would he would sort of he, he first appeared, I think, in 1940, and the 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 cartoon is Bugs Bunny and Porky's Hare Hunt, and he's kind of a wise, smart mouth character in his later <laughs> shows. I, oh, totally. I love Bugs Bunny. I can't remember the studio that made Bugs Bunny. Oh, that was Merry Melodies. Yeah, that was Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers still has an active, ongoing animation studio, Warner Brothers Animation. I did not know that. Still have tons of animated uh, fil- uh, shorts that they play on TV, uh, so they're still making. Uh, but I have a really vague memory of, of going to a restaurant when, we, when I was little, and they would have like these old black and white cartoons playing. I, I don't know if it was a film or, or how they did that, but you'd sit in the restaurant and I think it was that place that they used to serve peanuts at and you could yes, eat peanuts and throw them on the floor, you know, throw the shells on the floor. And then they had these uh, kind of a, uh, on the wall or somewhere they had uh, old cartoons playing. And it was like this whole really unique atmosphere that I liked uh, and remembered to this day. I remember that place. It was, I believe in uh a suburb of Denver, Lakewood, Colorado. And I think we went there frequently because it was such a cool place with the, you could throw peanuts all over the place. And, you know, in today's world, that would not work because you'd have 10% of the customers with an allergy to peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> they'd never, they'd never survive. But I do remember that. Yeah. And I think they had those old fashioned rear projection TVs that showed these cartoons. It must have been that, or, or they had like uh, eight. I thought maybe maybe they had like old eight millimeter uh, uh, film because oh, I, I remember growing have. up that we had some eight millimeter uh, cartoons, and I think one of them was uh, Heckle and Jekyll. Yes, I, I they got ruined in a flood that we had in Seattle, but Heckle and Jekyll was in there. Yeah, yeah. I bought those in Colorado, some at some uh, yard sale or something like that. That's so awesome. That's that's something that uh, my kids will never experience. Although, I think you still have some of those old movies, don't you, on film? Or did they all get ruined? Uh, I think we lost them all except a DVD of Christmases from the 1940s and 50s. But oh, okay. it's more of a family. Yeah, right, the, right. the box got... There was a flood and I didn't know it was there. And when I went to move, oh, the film was all... It was like a mud factory. You know, you mentioned if which, which cartoons I really like. It's easier for me if I think about which studio made the best cartoons, in my view. Because there were kind of like seven major players. And I think I'll always have Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, and The Roadrunner, I believe, was Warner Brothers as my favorite. Because they seem to be even zanier than the others. They were kind of on the edge of <laughs> of uh, bad behavior and bad action. Yeah, I, I think my favorites would be Popeye, Tom and Jerry, The Roadrunner, and yeah, a lot of the Warner Brother cartoons. Um, I was never a big fan of Betty Boop. I just thought that it was really strange. Um, it is strange, yeah, it is. Some of the Silly Symphony ones are, I like, but some of them are also really odd. What did you, what did you think of Steamboat Willie from 1929? 
That's a great, that's good. Yeah, it's like it's the first uh, talking uh, cartoon, right? I think it, uh, it is, as far as I know. Yeah. I remember going to Disneyland and they have a little showcase of like animation history there. It's just a little kind of off shoot in an alleyway on that main strip, I, I believe, if I'm remembering this right. And they have steam. They had Steamboat Willie playing kind of on a loop uh, in there, and I, I remember watching it there. So we kind of this is a different sort of an approach today, isn't it? There's no way I can rate this. Oh no, it's not a way to rate it. I would. Just it was say a lot that, of fun though. It's kind of fun to go back in time and look at the dawn of animation and the the golden era and, and just see what it was like then. And you know now now everything is so three D generated that you don't really have hand animated movies much anymore. Maybe one or two a year would come out, but it's it's kind of a dying art. It really it really is. Which that you raise a good question in my mind. Were there ever any 3D cartoons made for this era, like from the in the 50s when 3D came out in movies? I wonder if any cartoons were made with 3D. I bet, I bet there were a few because they, you'd have those glasses and you'd be there watching the movie. That's a good question. I don't know. I didn't see we'll anything have to, about that. We'll have to look that up and talk about it next time. So, speaking of next week... Next time, yes. We're going to be watching Snow White which I've seen at least a dozen times. Isn't it a wonderful movie? It's so it's so great. Such a great film. And it's got some real strong dramatic scenes in it, as well as some real funny ones with the, the dwarves. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Or in today's lexicon, Snow White and the Little People. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's next week. And uh, this has been fun. It, it was certainly different for me to to delve into this and the beauty of the funds library is there's a lot of stuff out there about any subject you'd want it, it's perfect if you love trivia oh well, then you must love it there <laughs> too i was there for three hours today in the library all right we should so. probably wrap it up so well thanks everybody for listening and uh, this has been uh, a fun little side tour of animation and we'll be back next week with snow white and until then, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from Seattle. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing you great movie watching. Strike up the band for Popeye the sailor, cash in his hand. Ride off a whaler, stand in a row. No. Don't let him go. No. He's a cinch, but every inch a sailor. Strike up the band Speaking of stores that might have movies, um, I'm thinking that the next trip I make to Warner Brothers for their lot, to, to see their studio, the lot, they have a uh, 
retail store for the tour people that are coming through, tourists. <clears throat> I'm going to look in there and see if they have any uh, DVDs of old cartoons. I didn't think to do that when I was over there. They may have a whole section on all of these that they made. Oh, that would, if they had like a compilation of like some of the ones from the 30s and 40s, that would be worth it. I would think it would be... Uh, how was the rest of that tour? You you never you never told me much about that tour. How was that? Oh, that's an amazing tour. We have to do that again. He's willing to do that. It was four hours. Uh, saw everything from the uh, the large dressing room, <clears throat> the large dressing room that Betty Davis used. Had several rooms: one room for her hats, one room for her gowns. Uh, all kinds of behind the scenes. Like there's one building. If you look at it from one place, it's a uh, it's a, a courthouse. Then you go to the side, and it's a fire station. You go to the back, it's a it's a school. So they could move the cameras around and and have different scenes. The beauty of the place is it's immense. It's a, we went through thirty uh, sound stages. We didn't go through them all, but we saw them all. They all have listed on the outside all the movies and television shows that have been made in them. Oh, and, they're, and they're used all the time. It's not at all like Universal, which to me is more like a uh, sort of an amusement park, or Disneyland, which is an amusement park. This is really more of a working tour where you get to see the real action. And they have a nice museum, a nice two or three store, uh, floor museum. So it's worth... It's worth your trip down here just to see that. Oh, totally. I would make a trip down just to go on that. Bring uh, your walking shoes. Yeah. I tell you. That's so cool. The, the, one of the best ones that got me is, um, do you remember Walton's Mountain from CBS in the 1970s? Yeah, I do. It, yep. it took place in the South, and it was during the Depression. Well, they filmed that right on the lot at Warner Brothers, and the mountain behind it has been renamed Walton Mountain. So when you look at the movie of the TV show, you see that mountain. That's in Burbank, California, <laughs> and, and they had the house and all set up so that they could move it around. Oh my god! I mean, gosh. it's amazing what they do. Yeah, that's what's so cool about going on those uh, studio tours is you see just how much goes into making those sets and, and all the, the kind of movie mag the movie magic that goes on. We went down the street in Casablanca. There's a there's a scene where Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman are looking out the second floor of their hotel at the uh, German soldiers coming into Paris, and we're standing there looking at this hotel at Warner Brothers on the lot. It's now a historic national historic place. It can never be removed, and you oh, have a street it was in that movie, it, and it's so old and it's been used in many movies. Oh. And and the uh, on that, and one more thing, and then I'll I'll uh, come to a close here. Uh, none of the door handles or any of the things on every building are are there permanently, so they can switch the era of the movie by the hardware. So oh the door gosh. handles in, in 1880 would be different than 2000 or 1910 or something like that. So you walk, you look at these, and we went into some of them. And they're kind of like empty, and the, every, everything is gone, and then they come in and dress them up, and it fits whatever movie they're making. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I never even thought about the door handles and, and the hardware on windows and whatnot. That's I amazing. know. Makes sense, though. 
and then we went into their their place where they build a lot of sets it's enormous it's as big as any hangar i have ever been in for aircraft it's just immense i had they're, no idea it was so big that's that's amazing. i didn't either at any one time when they're in production we were there during the off season but they'll have 30 movies or television shows going on every day being made <laughs> wow wow <laughs> 